G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers, citizen scientists, and people that just have an intense passion for marine life. My name's Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of Sea Creatures Podcast is Brett Lobwein, and he's an underwater photographer who takes some amazing images. Welcome to the show, Brett. Thanks, Matt. Absolute pleasure to be here. I uh, hope you're still surviving lockdown. I know it's a, a challenging time for, for Melbourne, but uh, you'll be out in that ocean taking more beautiful images soon, mate. Don't worry about it. Oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So I asked you to come on the podcast and asked you to pick a cool marine creature that you love and you instantly were like, let's do orcas. And I was like, whoa, that is such a cool animal to do. And I, you are the only person I know that has had an intense experience with orcas and done a whole bunch of photography work with them. So first of all, what, what led you to go dive with and swim with orcas? Uh, it's a good question. It was, look, for me, I've, I've kind of had a, a focus around top apex predators in, in my photography. I think that's always been a nostalgia and drive for me is to, to really go and, and capture some of these, I guess, misunderstood animals, whether that's a, a great white shark to a crocodile to an orca. And, and when you think of apex predators, I don't think you just can't get any bigger than a killer whale. So for me, it was really that one thing that was very high on my bucket list. But to be honest, before I started researching or, you know, getting you know, introduced to people who were doing work with orca, just that thought of jumping in the ocean with an orca was kind of like freaking me out, right? Just going, you know, I'm sure, you know, even yourself and many, many of the listeners have seen that, that footage of the orca, you know, beaching themselves to grab a seal, right? So for me, it was always that thought, I'd love to do an orca, but surely it's just not possible right and then you start doing research and you start seeing you know some amazing images out there from people like you know michael Isle, uh amos and so on have, have captured the images and i that was it. it was kind of under my skin i had to do it <laughs> so and so orcas are killer whales if that's kind of like yep. another name for them so describe to us like if you don't really know what an orca is describe like an orca yeah yeah that's cool so an orca you know, it's in that same family as, as dolphins. So it's, you know, it's regarded as a dolphin. It's a toothed whale. So in whales, you have uh, baleen whales. They have these filters across their front. I'm not, I can't think of the, the right terminology right now. And then you've got toothed whales. And obviously an orca is very much in that toothed whale category. Quite a large animal. They get up to, I'm just trying to remember how the weight, I think they're getting up to in the range of around um, six tons. Yeah, it's such a big animal or, yeah, about five and a half thousand kilograms. So it's, it's, a, it's a large animal. They also can get up to, they generally range their biggest. The males will get up to around seven to about almost 10 meters in size. So it's, it's a huge animal. There's just no question. And, yeah, I've, I've been in the water with big great whites, like, you know, 4.2, 4.8 metre great whites, and these things sort of dwarf them, right? They're, they're a beautiful animal, got a very signature pattern on them, the black and white pattern across their bodies, and that makes them very distinct. So I think if you saw a photo of it straight away, if you didn't know what an orca was, you'd know as soon as you see it, that, you know, that SeaWorld sign, and I won't get into the debate around SeaWorld yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's quite a debate. And I think it, I think it is still a debate actually. On the patterning, so I was doing a bit of research and I was reading that you can actually identify them off their fin and patterns. Did you, when you dived with them, did you get a chance to identify any of them? 
No, there is the Northern Orca Research Survey. So they, they'll submit photos in, even from just topside photos. So, you know, for those of you who ever see an orca and you're out, out on a yacht or a whale watching trip or something, always make sure you're taking those photos because there is that pattern that, that starts across, you know, their, their back or right near their saddle. I have a thing which is called a saddle. It's just behind their dorsal fin. They call it a saddle because it literally looks like, you know, if you think of a horse and that horse has a saddle on it, the pattern across the back is, that's what they refer to as a saddle. And that's a very, can be unique sort of fingerprint used for photos. So yeah, absolutely. If you're taking top side shots or underwater, there's great ways of getting side profiles and so on around, you know, being able to identify these animals. They are quite, they can be quite transient um, in different parts of the world. So it's great to get that sort of research around the kind of numbers that we're dealing with. My understanding is that they, they don't they don't have a threatened species rating or anything yet because uh, they're not really 100% sure around what's the population look like. Yeah, and I read an estimate that was about 50,000 worldwide, but there seem to be so many different subspecies and different yeah. like family groups. And so you were diving with the ones up in Norway, I believe, were you? Up in Scandinavia? Yeah, correct. Where, where we dive, well, free diving, we're flying to, into Norway, into a, you know, a beautiful town called Tromsø. And then head up, head up north through the fjords out to the, uh, the top of part of Norway. But yeah, the killer whales, they have these what they call sort of it's almost like subspecies. It's not quite the right word. I don't think we can go to that point of calling them subspecies. There's, there's effectively different types. And they are actually considering reviewing this right now around should there actually be separate species altogether? Because what's really interesting is each of the different subspecies of orca have their own language, you know, own social structures. The way they hunt is different. You know, the way an orca hunts in Patagonia is very, very different to the way they're hunting in New Zealand, for example, as they do a choice in New Zealand is stingrays, right? Yeah, versus, the, and I'll talk a bit later around the, the way they hunt in, in Norway is very unique. They have their favourite food. In some instances, they, all they eat is on one food type, fish or so on. That's kind of pretty cool to think that effectively these orca have like different cultures based on where they are around the world. So it's, it's kind of a kind of not too dissimilar from a human from that point of view. And they're, yeah, they're the only mammal that is distributed in every part of every ocean, every part of the, the world, really. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And on those kind of social or those groupings, they kind of have these social groupings I was reading where like the mother kind of has all her kids and stuff and grandson's like a matriarchal kind of family. And they go yeah. around, but then they actually have their own kind of dialects between them. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are, they're very vocal. When you're in the water, it's pretty cool. You can, you know, you normally, particularly uh, when you're in the, the colder, darker waters of Norway, and they're very well camouflaged. The design of, of an orca is black on top, white underneath. So that way, looking down, not too dissimilar to a great white, you're looking down on it, kind of blends into that darker water. You're looking up the white blends into the sun so you're normally going to hear an orca first before you're going to see it and that's it's pretty cool to just hear them always talking and uh, communicating particularly as they they're using different hunting techniques and they clearly you can see they have different roles and responsibilities and as they go and hunt and up in norway they're specifically feeding on herring. So, you know, the herring run into the fjords for breeding and then effectively all the whales come in and it's just a feast. So it's pretty unique. 
November through January is the season up there for the herring, and it's so it's just just coming into the dead of winter. But all the whales come in and feed off these herrings, like the alarms go off, SMSs go out, all the herrings are coming in, and it's quite amazing. So the family members will work to basically create a nice big bait ball. They'll try bring the herring up from the deep and bring them up to the surface, and they do this in a couple of different ways. They will effectively circle underneath, and they they actually expose their underneath to the herring. So they show off the white because it's visible and freaks the herrings up and they send them up to the surface. So it's kind of cool to see them as they're circling around and, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. There's a lot of stuff going on. The herring's defense mechanism is to fart, blow off air bubbles and create a, like a screen of just bubbles everywhere. Um, so they'll kind of bait ball them up and then once they've got them near the surface, then they will work in teams to effectively stun the herring. And they do that by flicking their tail in this instance. So one will go along and, and kind of like scoop the water and flick it at a, at a high, high speed. It, it's quite amazing to see. And that will effectively then turn a herring or stumble them over, turn them on their upside down, and then they're kind of it's stunned. And one of the other ones, they're normally hunting in pairs, if not more. And then the other one will come along and feed on these one by one. They'll eat each herring. Even some orcas are so... So fussy they'll spit the heads out but um they're literally yeah eating fish by fish so here's this you know seven ton up you know bigger animal eating one fish at a time it's kind of cool to watch wow that sounds amazing that they managed to form these huge like ball bait balls and just push them up the surface and then like feast upon them like wow and so you mentioned that's only a certain time of the year and Correct. is that what else do they feed on well, look, it's, it's interesting. Up in, up in Norway, uh, that subspecies only actually uh, feeds on fish. They're exclusively fish eaters. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what sort of tactics that they deploy you know, during other times. I'm sure it's pretty similar sort of notion around you know, going after individual fishes and, and chasing them into shallows and so on. But yeah, they, they're pretty much ex- exclusive fish feeders up there. Although I, I did hear a rumour about two weeks before I got there, someone witnessed one of them taking down a seal, which was, I don't think ever, you know, I hadn't heard of anyone, any, any orca taking a seal down. That's kind of worrying when you think, you know, I'm a, I'm probably the most immobile seal you're ever going to get, right? I'm wearing a dry suit, all this big heavy camera and everything else with me. And if an orca looks at me and thinks I'm a seal, then, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to outchase an orca, that's for sure. But, you know, the good thing is no human has ever been, to my knowledge, never been killed or harmed by, by an orca in the wild. So Yeah, and that's really interesting because I spoke to a friend of mine who has done a bit of training of dolphins and was involved in a bit of orca training from a zoological point of view. And I was like, would you dive with orcas? And she was like, in Norway, yes, because they just eat fish. In the Southern Ocean, no way, because they eat whales, they eat seals, like everything. Were you nervous or was that kind of a factor of going to Norway to see them or...? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, um, yeah, I was, I was pretty confident in that, you know, it's a pretty established place to go dive with them. Fairly, you know, it's fairly safe. You know, there's a fair few companies running running tours up there for the last few years. It, it's a little bit unpredictable up around there whether you can even get in in a way. I put it as a high-risk trip. It's not high-risk in terms of safety. It's definitely not for the faint-hearted. I mean, you are dealing in extreme cold, extremely, you know, poor light conditions and so on. So it's, it's not exactly no risk, but in terms of the animal, I would deem it as, as, as a fairly low risk. And knowing that a fair few people have been operating up there for a period of time, that, that was it for me. The risk element was, you go, it's a very expensive trip to get there and always not cheap. 
you know, you're hiring out of liverboards and so on and zodiacs. The risk element is getting up there and not, not, not actually getting an image. I don't know what's worse, you know, getting getting bitten by an orca or not coming back with no photo. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> but, but for me, um, yeah, look, I, I never really felt uh, at any point that it was, I was in an uncomfortable situation. And the only time I felt ever uncomfortable was when the humpbacks came in and uh, when they were in full lunge feeding, the, you know, you're just a little blip in the ocean and they come in at a million miles rate of an hour. When the humpbacks come in to feed off of those bait balls, they're actually uh, in the orca split and take off themselves because they don't want to get in the way of these, these massive animals coming in, right? So it, that was the most dangerous part, actually. Was, it was almost, I end up in the middle of about 15 humpbacks at full, full speed came from behind me and turned around and just... Wow, yeah, it was, that was the only that was the only time that I thought I'd put myself in maybe a bit of a bad spot. But yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So you had humpback whales and orcas all feeding on the yeah. same. Wow, this trip sounds more than just like an orca trip. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Photos of the humpbacks yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, there's tons of humpbacks. In fact, there's there's a lot more now every year. They seem to be getting more and more established. We didn't keep any tally on this trip around the amount of humpbacks, but it was a lot. Uh, you know. You're seeing some quite significant pods. There'll be times where you'd only see humpbacks and the orca and then vice versa. But in terms of the orca number two, they're really encouraging. The numbers continue to rise and rise. Inside the fjords can be a little bit um, temperamental. We had definitely, normally we'd have one day where we'd see orca and the next day we wouldn't due to winds or the orca weren't in that area. Uh, But we saw some pretty significant pod activities out, I think it was our last day or second last day, we started to go just out of the fjords. We heard of a, a fishing vessel uh, pulling out a, a huge catch. We got there. There's quite a number of pods. Uh, the pods of orca can get up to about 40 or 50 in individual pods. We saw quite a number of pods already around this fishing net. And they were coming in and obviously just taking herring as this, these guys were trying to pull this commercial vessel was trying to pull up the catch. They had a big catch. In fact, they had to bring another vessel in because they were full. Yeah, the orca was having a field day, free lunch and, you know, before we know it, if you look to the horizon, you just keep seeing more and more orca coming. And, and we estimated there there was anywhere from 500 to 600 orca around us, uh, which was amazing. Unfortunately, we couldn't get in the water because it was a bit rough and you're not allowed to get in the water near the com- commercial fishing nets for obvious reasons. But that day we peeled off right at the end and jumped in the water. I think I've got a frame. It's not perfect because a lot which is really, really fading at this point. We only got about four hours of workable sunlight per day and every day it's getting shorter by about 18 minutes um so yeah it was very late we jumped in the water sort of had a couple of good humpback interactions and then the orca were around but i didn't get a shot i think i counted it there's about 16 orca in one frame which is kind of cool wow that i'm i'm just blown away by like i've been in the water with humpbacks before but nothing like being in the water with 16 or 20 or 36 ton orcas like mm. all swimming around you describe for describe for me what it felt like so jumping in what were you feeling oh yeah it's everything like it's a feeling of that emotion everything charges for you you know there's that it's kind of a cool moment where you're sitting on the edge of a zodiac you know what a zodiac is those you know little rubber duckies i guess you know you're hanging off the side of them camera in hand fins ready and you know it's amazing even just to be at water level with an orca as they come up and they've got these, you know, it's particularly the males are the ones which have that very profound dorsal fins, you know, two to three metre dorsal fins. You're seeing them popping up and some of those coming up and that's all you see is this 
big dark fin coming up and out and it takes that breath just even being that close in the water for me like that, that was almost enough right even if i didn't get a in water action like, this is amazing to be this close to an orca but then yeah all the adrenaline kicks in and so on I still remember my first drop in with with an orca and very, very late in the day we'd been working, trying to get in with these two male orcas that had peeled away from the main pod and were working alongside of them. Got in the water, could see him from a distance. I popped in, bang, and I think I was the only one in the group not to see it. And we had a humpback come right up in front of me and everything else. And then I'm like, get away, humpbacks, whatever you pest, I want to see the orca. And uh, yeah, so I was the only one in the group to get out and go, Everyone was, you know, high-fiving. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't much. Like, we saw a little bit, but still saw it. And you see it, Brad? I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> but anyway, we, we more than made up for it over, over the next couple of days. So, you know, I think if anything, in, if you want to have these sort of interactions with an animal like this, you know, it's not in a zoo, it's not in a, in a cage, you know, and particularly in an area like Norway, a lot of things fighting against you, light. Uh, weather, winds, it's particularly in that area, snow, all that sort of stuff. You just got to give yourself the best opportunity to get that interaction. So, yeah, I know, you know, wildlife photography, I like to say there's an element of luck. You give yourself more opportunities to have luck. So for me, yeah, somewhere like that, give yourself as much opportunity and time as you can and just put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. You've got to sit on a Zodiac for a couple of hours snow falling down and everything around you then so be it just just maybe try not to lose any fingers <laughs> Wow! <laughs> but it is a, it's under you know to, to describe all the emotions is it's pretty much undescribable it's a pretty surreal moment to sit there that first time and come to face to face with one of them they look at you too it's it's quite amazing they know you can tell they know who you are that you're you're human and around they might not know i'm australian they might not speak my dialect but they uh they're, yeah, they're very highly intelligent animals. Such an amazing experience to like look one in the eye. And I've had that with a humpback whale before. And I was like, wow, you could just feel that they're like looking at you. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So normally um, I would say like, let's talk about some cool facts of an orca. But if you've got any cool facts or cool knowledge. So I have one, which is a little story like I was reading up ages ago because when I was researching them, I was like, actually, I already know a ton about killer whales and orcas. And one of them was, have you heard the story off South Africa, how they were finding a few years ago, they were finding the dead great whites wash up and all and internal, was it their bladder, I think, or their, li- their liver? Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I just, just uh, my last trip before lockdown, um, I got back into the country in March just as COVID was sort of hitting and I just came back from, from South Africa, actually. I was over in, in Cape Town hoping to do some, some shark diving while we were there. It wasn't the only reason for our trip, but part of it was for the sharks. But there is effectively there now a, a very dominant pair of males uh, hanging around in, in that Cape, in around False Bay and out to Seal Island and so on. And yeah, they're, they're pretty much targeting them. They, from, yeah, they, like as you said, they're not, you know, consuming them per se. And this, this goes to show you, you know, I always thought the shark was an apex predator. <laughs> and then, you know, here it is. Now you know who the apex predator is. It's the orca, right? Taking them down. So, you know, now, unfortunately, the downside is mean that, you know, it's been two seasons for, you know, cage diving over there that they're effectively having those sharks. Now, it was interesting, just uh, the week that we got there, they had, got two sharks come in yeah it was like two or three days before we went out I had two sharks and then the next day they saw walker and then i you know, haven't seen great whites since yeah and they're taking down the seven gills and everything they're not just targeting the great whites any shark which is crazy 
That it is crazy considering great whites like are in excess of five meters and are huge like predators that people are super scared of. And then you have orcas just coming and killing them. And then any shark, I mean, I guess it's a smart move from an orca because you're not only getting a feed, but you're also removing a competitor for your food source. When you say pair of males, is that, would they have been the same? Do you know if they're the same pod or the same group or? Oh, no, it's, it's two identified animals. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, witnesses of them chasing, uh, chasing the sharks and obviously dead sharks, you know, rocking up on the beach and all the rest of it. But I guess the theories around why there's no sharks there at the moment is still just a theory, right? Pretty sound in my opinion, right? The orcas, whenever they're seen, then good chance you're not going to see any, um, any great whites for a period of time. And it's even documented here in Australia. But a friend, a friend of mine um, who's, who's got some background in orcas saying when I was down at uh, Rodney Fox on Neptune Islands, oh, yeah, there's some, some killer whales chasing uh, chasing the last of the whales down. You know, it'll be great if you can see some orca. I remember talking to the, you know, one of the guys, the crew on Rodney Fox, and he's like, God, I hope, hope they don't come here because then that's it. We won't, we won't see sharks for a couple of weeks after that. It's definitely changed the uh, shark diving over there in, in South Africa. There is other shark. There's, you know, makos and blues and so on. Uh, another story for another time, maybe. It's a cool part of the world. But, yeah, pretty amazing to think that, that orca are that complete top dog in the, in the ocean. It's insane. And it's interesting to think that, like, the sharks disappear. And I wonder if that's because the sharks are actually know that the orcas are around and, like, oh, let's get out of here. Or if they're just swimming along and the orcas are smashing them and, we don't even know it. Yeah, so have you got any cool facts or other cool kind of like orca interests? Oh, look, I, you know, I think, you know, I've kind of talked about a bit about how they really adapt their hunting techniques. It's kind of cool, right? I mean, one of the, I remember some other footage that I saw is, you know, you think of Patagonia and then beaching themselves and coming up and taking down a seal. How they work as a pack is just really amazing. I still remember seeing this footage for the first time of a, a seal sleep on, a, on an iceberg down in Antarctica, right? So, yeah, as I said, you're going to see these in, in all the oceans, right from pole to pole, got orca coming through. And I still remember seeing this footage of a seal on, a, on an iceberg sitting up thinking it's safe. You see these orcas circling around it, and it's kind of like going, hey, I'm cool, I'm safe. I'm up on dry-ish land, right, or dry bit of ice. Uh, and I just still remember seeing these orca getting together as like, you know, a group of them and then just going at full speed and coming up towards the surface and then just creating this, this momentum and wave effectively just flip the ice over and seals in the water when the other orca came in from the side and hit it. And then they all get the chance to feed at once. It's an absolute family from that point of view, right? It's, it's not like one orca dominates and eats and none of the others do. They all get a chance and an equal chance to, to feed. You know, they do some other amazing hunting, you know, going after whales, only eating the tongues out and all this sort of stuff. They are amazing animals. Yeah, and like to think that they hunt, they're able to, they're that smart, they're able to hunt by making a wave. And I know um, I've also seen, they've actually um, seen them catching waves in order to like get up on the shore and grab seals that are like, again, thinking, yeah, I'm safe on the sand. And then this orca just like surfs in, grabs it. Yep. Yeah, it kind of then just wiggles its way off the beach. And it's really amazing when you see, um, you know, the mothers teaching and passing on those hunting techniques, you know, they'll actually, you'll see them, the, the babies and the younger animals coming up right close to the beach, not quite beaching themselves or maybe going up a little bit, kind of working it out, figuring it out and then watching their mum or, the, you know, trying to wiggle off and perfecting that hunting technique. So, 
you know, a lot of their skills are, you know, are passed on. They're not necessarily like I think a lot of you know, hunting in nature, it's, it's almost just part of, it's just the way they, they all, they've evolved and they know how to eat. This is actually skills taught, which is really unique. Yeah, that just shows you, like, as I said before, like how intelligent they are, that they're able to learn these different skills. And I guess that's why for like places like SeaWorld and stuff, they were such a draw card because they could be trained. and. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. So awkward question for you, but are there <laughs> any tips you have for photographing orcas? Yeah, there. It is, in all honesty, one of the the most challenging animals to photograph, particularly up in Norway. As I said, you've got everything uh, fighting against you. For a good photo, you want light and you want nice clear water, and you've got to think about you know in that situation, uh, only a couple of hours of sunlight per day. So it's it's probably more productive for drinking than it is for photography up in that area. But you got a very short window, and you obviously can't use artificial light. You know these animals are too fast. Uh, they're a very, very fast animal. They're big, but they are super fast. So, you know, going to be shooting up in around one five hundredth of a second. And the reality is, yeah, you've just got to push the limits and take advantage of the technology that we have today in digital cameras around really bumping up ISO as far as you can before you get to that point of noise. In fact, because the conditions change quite a lot, you know, I was really shooting on ISO auto, which I would never, ever normally do. But I was just allowing that because... You know, so much variables always changing. I just kind of locked in my, you know, locked in my um, f-stops and, and so on, and, and left the ISO up to the camera, and just put a limit on it. So, yeah, that's kind of my tricks. Um, Wide-angle lens as well, getting as close as you can to that animal to take advantage of that light. But you know, there's it's a tricky one, right? And they're a black animal, and the camera struggles to focus. I've got a lot of beautiful photos that I'm sure would have been good if they if I could have hit the focus right. But anyway, it's it's challenging, and then you got all the bubbles as well. As, as I mentioned, those the defense mechanism of the herring is to let off the bubbles of you know the the fart bubbles, the, the net they like to call it. You know, just be conscious of that. You're using a large dome. You know, keep it nice and clean. Make sure you haven't got any air bubbles. But you might think it's all good. Turn around and look at your dome and it's just covered and proven right now i mean it's doable on scuba some people have done it but uh the speed and the way that they're always transient for me i you know i, I found freediving was kind of the best yeah i've seen like freediving seems to be the way that most people kind of get there i guess if you're flying around on a boat and you've got to get in and out and you know, there's like going to be a point where you see them come past, like, quick, quick, get in, get in, get in. Yeah, and I've heard of other people saying that have tried it, that, yeah, they found that, yeah, the orca just simply didn't like scuba either. So maybe a rebreather might be a go, but again, you've got so much size and bulk on you for that. Yeah, there's some other cool little techniques, but they, as I said, they're fast, they're moving. It's The main thing here is getting yourself in the right position and trying to predict what they're doing. And yeah, high speed and, and push your camera to the absolute limits it means you've got to come out with a bit of extra grainy, photos you know just just work that in post-process cool well that kind of brings us to the end of our orca episode thanks brett very much and if anyone wants to see your amazing photos or like learn some photography tips or anything off you what, what should they do and where should they go Cool. Yeah. So I guess a couple of different spots. If you're on Instagram, which most people are these days, uh, you can hit me up. My handle is my name just with the dot in the middle. So brett.lobween. Uh, for Instagram, my uh, website is www.brettlobween.com.au. Uh, sorry, just .com. I also run a company called UW Images and we do a whole lot of stuff around photography equipment from my site, which I'm an ambassador for and a whole lot of other 
other really, really cool products, but we also do do you know, one-on-one tuition and, and help people getting through and learning photography. And that's, that's the main thing I want is, you know, people connecting with the ocean in different ways and capturing photos, sharing them with their friends, family, and uh, hopefully then more people wake up and want to care about you know, what they do day in, day out, even if they're not in the ocean, to make sure we protect these amazing animals and you know reality is life you know one in every second breath comes from the ocean uh so for me i'm a big believer in getting people to connect with what is the ocean and uh hopefully some of my photos and photos like yours matt help people you know form a connection with something that maybe they would never have seen before right and want to care about it yeah and i think yeah creating that excitement about somewhere where people may never even explore. And then when they get a chance to like, you know, talk about policy or they hear people talking about the marine world, they can connect, as you just said. Just makes you think for one second and change your behavior. Job done, in my opinion. I said, I think some people are connected via documentaries, some are photos, some are stories like this. So, uh, you know, thank you, Matt, for, you know, looking at another outlet to get people connected with, with the ocean. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, and my webpage, mtunderwatermedia.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can help support the show. And a big thank you to our two first Patreons, Sam and Josie. Production assistance by George McGrath, and music by the talented Dan Musil and his awesome slide guitar. Tune in next time to hear all about spider crabs with PT. This has been the Secretures Podcast. Over and out. <laughs>